Welcome to In Defense of Humanity. My name is Ostries Oz Miller. Today, my co-host is Khalid Johnson. Khalid, how's it going? Aren't, aren't I your co-host every day? You are every indeed time my... Every report, aren't I your co-host? Every time. That is correct. Well, I, it's, it's interesting. We don't have a guest today. This was completely planned as well, which is unique for the podcast because as you know we're rarely planned however we do have a topic that we're going to talk about today as alluded from the last episode which was on this monday relative to the listener and that is of course afrofuturism khalid please tell me what afrofuturism is um at its core Afrofuturism just is defining futures for people of African descent. Uh, so often we look at the past. Um, we look at, you know, it's it's this idea that there is more for Black people beyond, you know, this um, oppressive um, reality that we've lived in. You know, this oppressive lived experience, uh, this experience full of, you know, lived traumas and whatnot. And mm -hmm. so it's imagining futures beyond that. Um, Afrofuturism is actually coined by, well, it was kind of theorized by Mark Derry. Um, mm -hmm. And it came from this, um, from this writing called black to the future which was published i want to say in 94 mm -hmm. okay so it's a it's a pretty recent term yeah it um it really hit the kind of forefront of you know our modern consciousness um around the time that black panther released actually just mm. because of how Black Panther really kind of embraced what Afrofuturism kind of stood for um, conceptually and whatnot. And so as Black Panther, you know, shattered box office records, you saw this big acceptance and gravitation towards Afrofuturism and what that implied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so is Afrofuturism um, the future of what it means to be African, technologically, aesthetic, um, psychologically, relative to colonial period or relative to now? Because to me, Black Panther, though the technology is significantly more advanced in the comic books and in the cinematic universe, it is still in modern times, in contemporary space. So is it future or is that just Afro-modernism with uh, land rights and and resource control? So, you know, as I stated earlier, it's kind of imagining an experience kind of away from trauma and oppression, right? And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the beauty of Wakanda within that world, right? Wakanda exists um, entirely separate 
from Western expansion, from a, from colonial oppression, from the traumas of slavery, their experience um, has been one of, you know, their, their experience has been separate from that. And so they've been allowed to thrive. They've been able to create technology that would be considered futuristic, right? You look at the ships that they have um, within the comics there, they had space travel well before space travel was even a thing modernly so you know it, it embraces afrofuturism and 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 those kinds of core tenets i think plus you know thinking about the origins of afrofuturism there is this um this heavy lean towards sci-fi right mm -hmm. it's really grounded in in this kind of sci-fi high um technologically fantastical sense um you know outside of like black exploitation it's imagining oh yeah black people within these within within a genre that you know you think that they would actually have embraced a lot more right and um mm. there are terms that i'm slipping on and i'll probably find them in a bit but yeah it's it's about embracing this thing that feels so close to um the African experience, you know, the the descent of African peoples. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I definitely think about when I think of Afrofuturism or, you know, any anything that has to do with Africans in the future, I immediately jump to Star Trek, in which obviously we have Jordi LaForge, uh, who played by LeVar Burton, who also played Kunta Kinte in the miniseries Roots. But I think, okay, so we have someone who was born in, if I'm not mistaken, in Somalia, um, in, in the canon of the show, who has taken it upon himself to become a Starfleet officer like his mother and be blind in the future using a visor to enhance his, his vision through technology to become a great engineer. That's cool. But then I also see the Klingons, um, for anyone who doesn't know Star Trek, uh, are large, brutish aliens who developed space travel significantly before humans and many other races. However, their technology basically stagnated. So they were a, a warring race who fought each other and then eventually united to create a massive empire. So their technology stagnated. They didn't really increase the speed of their ships or change their design because it served their needs. So they basically were just war hungry and brutish and they were all dark skinned. So I saw them as being coated black and I was like, this is, this is inherently problematic. And you know, people will talk their way around it all the time and be like, no, they're not. A lot of the actors are white. So they're not actually coated black. They just have dark skin because their planet's hot and it's like, wow, that, uh, that is a, a great way to evade the, the problem here. But also in an episode called Code of Honor, there's the Lagonians and they're an African, well, everyone there is of African diaspora, 100%. And they're, they look human. They're wearing um, clothes that look roughly Arab mixed with African. And they're a warring race, once again, coded as black people in the future. 
advanced technology, but they choose to use their advanced technology to prop up their culture that is built on violence. And they fight to the death like the Klingons in order to solve their problems, unlike the civilized Federation who has moved away from violence and capitalism and whatnot. And obviously the chief most in the Federation are usually the officers who are not of uh, coded African descent. Because in the Federation, you know, um, starting with the next generation, race doesn't really matter in the future as much right diversity is celebrated so obviously there are different peoples however in order to move towards i i suppose so people could understand the future where prejudice is not fully eliminated and i think it was smart of them to do this was to code alien species to take the minority roles that already existed in society in the 60s 70s 80s and until now I think a lot of media actually does that, um, especially, I mean, when addressing race, right? You can't, um, to a base that, you know, may not necessarily be as perceptive to the notions of, you know, black people and white people, we can all get along, we can integrate. You have to use analogies for it. Um, but as I talk about Afrofuturism, I also think about, um, you know this embracing of 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 these experiences, right? Like with Star Trek specifically, um, I know that Martin Luther King, um, with the original series, um, encouraged the actress for Ahura, whose name escapes me right now, Michelle uh, Nichols. Poorly, on. he he um, he encouraged her to stay with the role because of the importance of, of you know being able to see a person of color, a black person um, within this kind of space where they're able to, you know, be characters um, without this like guise of racism or, or inherent racism, you know? Um, I guess not inherent, but like explicit racism where they're able to, you know, go beyond the stars and whatnot, right? And so, you know, there is this championing of of her and, you know, her role within there, especially as the one Black character within that original cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think to, you know, this, this thing that Derry said within, within Black to the Future. Um, he speaks about, you know, African-Americans and, you know, the pull to um, the conventions of science fiction, right? And what he says is, you know, African-Americans in a very real sense are the descendants of alien abductees. They inhabit a sci-fi nightmare in which unseen but no less impassable force fields of intolerance frustrate their movements. Mm. Um, as As the writing progresses, um, the question that is posed is, can a community whose past has been deliberately rubbed out and whose energies have subsequently been consumed by the search for legible traces of its history, imagine possible futures? And so I think, um, especially 
like within a Star Trek context, it is, you know, fantastic to imagine a future where as a black person, you know, you're able to go beyond the stars and, you know, move beyond the colonial imperialist oppression that has faced African or people of African descent for years. Indeed, indeed, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's easy enough to throw around examples of which, um, especially in sci-fi, where African-Americans or not even like Africans as a whole, you know, African diaspora sticking with Afrofuturism have been uh, put in place to sort of show what could be possible. Another example that comes to mind is Farscape. I don't know if the actor who plays Khal Drago is African diaspora, but he's certainly once again coded that way with heavy brow ridges, dark makeup. So if he's not, then they, they definitely knew what they were doing in that Australian show. Um, he could represent Aboriginal people as well. Uh, once again, warlike species, the Luxons, um, and he's the one guy on the ship who's trying to to live with the fact that he thought he killed his wife in a fit of rage. And the peacekeepers, who are the police in this show, are played all sebations that have been seen on, the, as far as I've seen on the show, are white. And then the Luxons are dark-skinned people who are being policed most heavily by the sebations because they're considered a warlike race, even though they... They haven't really conducted a war in centuries. Uh, you know, they're, they're frequently stopped. Their ships are searched, ransacked. They're often thrown into penal facilities because they're like, oh, we heard a Luxon robbed a place and you fit the build. So we're going to we're going to arrest you. And I was like, oh, these Luxons are space blacks and the peacekeepers are most certainly the police. So seeing things like that, I'm like, you know, it's not Afrofuturism for certain because it's not a positive light, but it's like this is what I like. It's hard for me not to imagine a future like this at which we've all become technologically advanced, yet we still face discrimination at some value, even if all humans get along. You know, in the words, the infamous words of Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? That someone that blame displacement as freud would say has to go somewhere there in order for us to prosper in in our current concept right a mixed economy mixed capitalism someone has to be blamed which is how fascism rises so that we can justify our own existence would you agree with that I mean, I can't argue with it. I mean, you think about Hitler, right? And how scapegoating the Jews or mm -hmm. the Jewish people um, contributed to, well, facilitated genocide. So can't, there's no argument against it, Absolutely. I don't think. And the Ku Klux Klan, uh, with the blaming of any crime on, on black people and protecting white women, protecting white... Um, uh, was it white equality or white supremacy, more like it? 
So I think, you know, in order to have Afrofuturism, right, I think there need to be, unfortunately, in the words of W.B. Du Bois, there would need to be an equal separation in order it's for... It's Du Bois. Ah, uh, it is. It's Du Bois. It's, it's Du Bois. Yeah, he, within a statement, he um, clarified the pronunciation. Well, I'm, uh, I, I most certainly... I'm not a frequent reader of Du Bois. Uh, our, our views are slightly different, but he was talking uh, about, you know, the separate but equal uh, aspect of what society could be, you know, achieve our exceptionalism separately, which is also what Fanon said. He goes like, ah, you know, we try to achieve exceptionalism in the system, and then we realize we've not only alienated ourselves from our people, because now we talk, for lack of a better term, white, and we dress European, and we go to the best schools and whatnot. But we also cannot ever be considered equal by hegemony. Because we are not, we don't look like them. We are black skin, white mask. So I feel in order to avoid this, which is how Wakanda even came to be, they literally had to be ultra isolationist to the point where they couldn't even, or they wouldn't even let in their cousins who lived on the mounts high. Right. And that's what I fear. That's what I fear. Like Congo, um, Central African Republic, um, all of these nations that have lithium and and rhodium, platinum, and whatnot could lock themselves off, be isolationists, and develop. That'd be great. But then, you know, we have, lucky for them, they, they've come to be on par, if not superior to every other group, but now they're isolationists. Now the script has been flipped. Is this acceptable? Is Afrofuturism that you conceive, Khalid, completely and entirely afro only i don't think there's any <clears throat> okay so i'm gonna preface afrofuturism does not like like it as a kind of concept does not exist in a bubble right you know you look at uh, just thinking about that initial thinking about that quote that i about the thing that I quoted earlier, you know, where that historical impact of of slavery, of you know, racism, um, um, you know, has influence on the things that are written. It doesn't, you know, Afrofuturism does not exist without does not exist without you know these lived experiences um, kind of reflecting within within the works. Um, mm -hmm. I think you know for these individuals you cannot throw away um the impact of you know these traumas of these experiences right so with i think i think about malcolm x right and yeah. his um his black nationalism and it was mainly you know being able to like have the choice of separation, right? 
um, and having having the ability to choose. Um, and I think considering considering the experiences that Malcolm X had, mm-hmm. can you blame him? Considering the experiences that these authors have had, you know, can you can you fault them for envisioning a future free from you know these colonial systems, free from um, these things that have contributed to trauma, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I also think of you know, I guess reining it in from other, like from isolationist, like from these isolationist representations, I think about um, Milestone Media, which is very impactful to me and influential to me as a comics creator. Um, you know, you have these characters, um, I guess to preface on Milestone Media, Milestone Media is a comics corporation or an entertainment corporation or entertainment um, business that was founded by a group of black creators, um, Mm -hmm. namely Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, um, and a few others whose names escape me. That is Um, Candace Cohen's, correct? Not Owen's. No, whoa, no. Dennis Cohen is an artist. Okay, perfect. Um, They created these black characters and were focused on authentic representation and these characters fought against you know corporate greed Mm -hmm. racism and they kind of embodied these um afrofuturist themes um to be more specific um black to the future cites hardware Mm -hmm. who um specifically fights against um an evil corporation um and dons futuristic tech and as a means to do so you know and so um living within that kind of sci-fi-esque nature um looking at icon icon and rocket icon mirrors superman story um and, and but you know from a stance well from an angle that kind of confronts blackness and confronts um, themes of anti-blackness and black conservatism and, you know, addressing these things. But he embodies Afrofuturism also because um, as a black man um, and alien, you know, very familiar with high tech um, things and alien technology. And, you know, it really pushes into that kind of sci-fi nature that, has these ties or Mm -hmm. can be easily tied to the African and African-American experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think it differs for, you know, people's different interpretations of futures for black people at the end of the day, it is, you know, I think Afrofuturism is just embracing and thinking about futures for black people beyond what we've suffered. Hmm. Okay. 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 So that I, I, I follow it. I follow it. I am an avid reader of science fiction and I do believe African science fiction. I've, I've played with the idea of Afrofuturism before 
this discussion, of course. However, I'm I'm still led to the question: What happens to all the white people? Um, not just white people, right? I assume, I assume there's a there's a fluid admixture of people coming in um, to these, right? Think about Afrofuturism again. L- let's stick with the Wakanda, Wakanda, as an example. So, you know, whenever was it our our friend comes to Wakanda being injured, we see everyone being surprised that there's a white person in Wakanda. This doesn't give me good thoughts to, you, you know, even, even with Killmonger entering Wakanda and he is clearly black, they were like, yo, 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 yo get out. You're not, you know, Okay, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts without without uh, misspeaking, I guess. Okay, so your question is, you know, and I, I you want to use Wakanda specifically. Um, what about white people? Mm-hmm. Well, not specifically, but like, what about non-black people yes, within these yes. within these worlds, right? Um. Well, within Wakanda, right? Um, yes, for a, even within the comics, for a long period, they are non-interventionist, isolationist. Um, they thrive separately. But I also think that goes to the imaginings of what Wakanda is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does exist within a bubble. It hasn't been touched by, by um, colonization and imperialism or by Western imperialism, right? It hasn't been hit by these things. Um, and that's, so I think about the, the reception of Black Panther, you know, the film specifically by black people, right? And how that impacted and like, and like the impact that that had you know, the sense of cultural pride that Black people had um, in thinking about Africa, right? Everybody wanted to be from Wakanda mm. because it's it's separate from what we've experienced here. Um, you know, I think they're existing, you know, they haven't waged war on white people. It, the exi- the Okay. The existence of Wakanda does not does not delete the existence of other places. You know, of they're course. not they don't have the colon they don't have the colonizer kind of approach to things, right? And so mm-hmm. if the question is, you know, integration, I think, you know, it goes back to this kind of, you know, looking at the time, the ability to self-separate, you know, and it's different for different people you know and sure those are resources that they're not contributing globally but at the same time when it's been abused why should they have to why should you have to consider uh uh, the oppressor's feelings i think about this election right where people are asking um these oppressed groups or these groups that you know suffered um demeaning language and and violent language and you know almost dehuman almost or even dehumanization 
um, from Trump's administration and the supporters. And there's this call to be kind, you know, practice forgiveness and, mm. and all this stuff. But why? Right? Why? I think about I think about Malcolm X. Um, and, you know, when they asked if he was, if he hated white people, and his response was, they don't even factor into the equation. I don't even think about them. I'm not even, you know, you can't qualify me as a racist because they don't even cross my radar, right? And mm-hmm. so, and that, that may be a misquote, but why should Wakandans be interested in a world that has oppressed Black people, right? Why should they want to integrate? And, you know, then I think about the ending of the movie where um, T'Challa and we're, in a, we're, yeah, where T'Challa and you know the rest of Wakanda decide to step into this more globalist um, this globalist policy where they're more open, their borders are mm-hmm. open, they're willing to trade with the world. And I think I think that's the I think that's ideal. You know, I think that that is also an answer. I don't think there's a clear answer. Um, I don't think there is a a one size fit all answer. Mm -hmm. I think that is a response for black people that is appropriate. I also think for other black people that have had to suffer this suppression when they're writing their media, they shouldn't have to um, think about, well, what about white people or what about Mm -hmm. whoever else, right? Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have to. Because when you look at other pieces of sci-fi media, Mm. where are black people you know you have these experience um i was so i've been doing research into afrofuturism um and one thing that was brought up was the jetsons right Ah. look at the when you look at the jetsons there is not a single black face in sight right they're living in this futuristic society um it's homogenous far progressed everybody's white even the robots are white you know their voices are white they have white mannerisms that's true everything is white where are the black people right and so that question is more appropriate because at a time where black people actually even in modern times where black people are consistently excluded and have to and are forced to create spaces for themselves you know where they haven't been considered um you know, I don't think it's mm-hmm. particularly fair that they should have to be considerate or they should have to consider where their oppressor falls within these created spaces, you know, that are meant to uplift Black people. Now, I'm not saying, like, by no means am I saying, you know, genocide, you know, here, genocide white people or anything like that. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But, like, you shouldn't, they shouldn't have to be concerned with, you know, they shouldn't have to be concerned with creating a space, well, allowing for intrusion within a space that's supposed to be safe for them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I, I feel you. Uh, I I think of of now, right? Comparing the one who coined the term, Mark Derry, clearly an American man. Uh, don't know his ethnic background. I don't. He's white. No, I. I mean, that's not an ethnic background. I was going to say, I don't think it really much matters. It doesn't appear that he's a large majority of 
African diaspora, at least. And uh, Sam Delaney, Samuel Delaney, are both not of at least considerable African diaspora. Now, they could be white passing, and that's none of my business, their ethnic background. However, they do remind me, you know, working in the field of Afrofuturism, um, talking about these things, even Mark Derry coining the term as a someone who does not identify with the African diaspora, whether he is or not, is not up for debate. But it reminds me of Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, I do believe he said death to all Europeans being quite a European Frenchman himself. Um, hanging out with Franz Fanon, um, Michel Foucault, and going like, yeah, Europeans were bad people. Post-colonial movement, death to all Europeans. And it's like, do these individuals, right? I don't think Mark Derry thinks this way, but I'm like, Jean-Paul Sartre, does he think whenever death happens to all Europeans, he'll be the outlier? Like, I called for this, but I don't die. You know, because it's like whenever someone calls for something, against the people who are similar to them it's like somehow they are always exempt from this uh action right like i'm like hey no more capitalism capitalism's bad and then everyone who, who tolerates capitalism should go but i was born in a system complicit with uh marginal capitalism thus i cannot exist in a future without capitalism because no matter how much i wish you know, if I de decided I wanted to be a socialist or, uh, God forbid, according to capitalists, a communist, I couldn't exist because sure, I could tout the ideology and whatnot, but there would always be subtextual inklings of that socialization that 20 plus years has put into me. You know, there's always that, can we actually, you and I, exist in this place of Afrofuturism. We could be the best engineers, the best scientists, right? What have you, but we still first language speak colonizer tongues, you know, grew up in a colonized position, maybe not right. colonized in the mind, but certainly in the flesh, in the system in which we live. Which is why I go back to, you know, I don't think any Afrofuturist writer that at least I can't say any that's that's broad, but none of the Afrofuturist writers that I am familiar with have envisioned a white genocide or anything like that, right? And that mm. just sounds ridiculous. Um, well, not I've not heard any envisionings of. I mean, I'm sure that they, I'm sure that some exist. You know, I wouldn't. I'm sure some exist. I'm. So I said. The ones that I'm familiar with, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just there is a desire, right, an inherent mm -hmm. desire to be removed from the oppression, right, from the trauma, and I keep coming back to that. Um, so I guess we'll, I guess I'm going to shift to beyond just writings, right, um, like on creators as like on a larger scale. Um, Sun Ra and, and, and the <laughs> Sun Ra was a musician and he had 
is one second. I want to make sure that I am correct in what I'm saying. Um, but I know musically, when people think about Afrofuturism, you mm. know, they Sun Ra is one of the is one of the big names that comes up, right? And mm. there's this idea of being separated um, from racism and escaping and escaping the trauma and the oppression um, and representing that within in this story about him um, and his identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's like an interpret. I think one of the I think the interpretation is having been abducted by aliens um, and going to I, I want to say the future. And my internet is being slow, so I can't quite fact check myself. Um, if I, if I can find it, I definitely will circle back to it. But it's like going to a future, going to like an alien planet where black people are, are able to be free from this, be free from this traumatic experience, be free from racism and oppression and be able to, you know, thrive, right? And that's, 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 represent, that's, what, that's what Wakanda represents, mm-hmm. right? Being free from these oppressive institutions and being allowed to thrive so when i think about afrofuturism you know um it's about at its core wanting better for black people wanting that free from oppression while embracing these kinds of sci-fi themes that you know fit so well within the african-american and african experience right um and so kind of playing at that mm-hmm. okay okay but I, I don't think like as i said it does, afrofuturism does not exist in a vacuum right obviously it is a reflection on the society that we have been forced to live in mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. We, we've been forced to live under oppressive systems we've been forced to to you know have this generational trauma to um we don't whether we like it or not we're impacted by slavery um whether we like it or not we're impacted by colonialism right and you know western imperialism you don't really have a choice in that but within within the within this media that is created it's a space to be beyond that or to look beyond that to imagine a future beyond that right mm-hmm. or a future where we're moving to get beyond that as i look at milestone um specifically right embracing these things as we look past what we're forced to deal with what we've been forced to deal with yeah yeah interesting well i do i do quite enjoy this conversation and i think we're definitely going to continue it right after this ad break so that we can afford to continue doing this. Um, And we'll come back and we'll talk right about this. Welcome back from the break. Khalid and I were getting ahead of ourselves because we were not recording. So we'll run some stuff back for you, hopefully. Uh, Take it away, Khalid. Khalid? Osteris and I were discussing 
this, um, I guess, writing manifesto um, called me mundane Afrofuturist. I think I just mistitled it, but it is about mundane Afrofuturism, which is an imagining of a more mundane Afrofuturism, right? Away from the sci-fi elements, away from aliens and these heightened fantastic representations of Black people and just imagining futures for people of African descent within a mundane world, within mm -hmm. the world we, that we live in now. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I have to stop saying absolutely, definitely, and indeed, uh, because I've been DM'd about it, saying them three times, even though they're just my transition words on the podcast. I will do my best to stop saying them. Secondly, I was thinking about this as well. You know, Khalid asked, have you heard of this manifesto? And I was like, I don't think so. So I began to read it and I realized I've heard a lot of these things separately. So clearly by people who've read it, I do like manifestos as well. Um, but, oh, that sounded dangerous. So I... No, I'm not going to I'm not going to change what I said. OK, moving forward with that. Uh, it, I, I found it interesting, right, moving away from interstellar travel and saying, hey, uh, white supremacy or any racism or prejudice is just thrown out of the water. Uh, you know, nothing's perfect in a mundane Afro futurist concept right you don't just have people who are okay with the system you you know because there will always be people who are different most certainly the the thing that stuck out to me khalid and you can discuss a little bit is that there are in fact in the future um or in the concepts i've seen of africans in space or whatever a lot of talk about uh martial arts so you know you you have michael jai white coming in every single film i've seen where they need a black guy who has karate skills for no reason fighting someone and then having a few lines and then just disappearing as though he was just like a card a token to pull out and then the put back or um like egyptian mythology out of no context just basing an alien culture on Egyptian mythology or bringing up something of the sort. Magical Negroes is also in there. Which... Things that they look, things that the, the mundane Afrofuturist uh, manifesto lists as stupidities. Yeah, yeah. Jive talking aliens. So, and Khalid, you mentioned, go, go ahead. Um, so, you know, I think specifically about like Kung Fu uh within these kinds of representations of black people um yes obviously one would want to escape um the implications of black exploitation right mm. oh yeah oh yeah i like, think mm. i think at the time that it was created right when when you had dolomite and dolomite is my name you're, you're absolutely right that's a problem when you had dolomite you had obviously you had people that wanted to see themselves 
trapped within the media that they were consuming, right? And so, you know, I think about like the creation of Afrofuturism, which mm-hmm. is not as kitschy okay. as um, okay. black quotation films or black quotation media. It's not kitschy and, mm-hmm. and like those pieces were, but um, like black exploitation um afrofuturism you know was facilitated out of seeing the absence of oneself within these conversations in these contexts right um now black exploitation definitely uh has its detriments you mm, know absolutely austin powers like i feel the austin powers movie with beyonce playing was it Foxy Brown, hits on all of these points that they say are stupid. Like, every single one of them. Yeah, and so, you know, when that criticism is made, yes, no, we should, as a people, move past the necessity of, well, move past the, like, move past the point where we facilitate black exploitation, right? but you know there are, there are a list of things that they critique as stupidities that uh, need to go, you know, need to be removed from our common film representations or media representations or any of the like. Right? They the list aliens. Um, mm. They list specifically black aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, jive talking aliens and jive talking mutants um as Osterich was getting to the point about jive talking aliens we had earlier discussed jar jar binks as a you know representation of that um you know these things that could be harmful in convert in meaningful discourse about race right you know obviously we want to move past a point where we, we want to move past colonialism and uh, and the kinds of the the detrimental qualities of colonialism and colonial oppression and then slavery and that trauma right but you know it's hard to it's hard to disassociate some of these themes within you know, these things that they're stating from mm-hmm. more, uh, racial and racist roots, right? Um, um, I also think about, you know, we had, as before before we got, before we came back from the ad break, we were discussing um, the, I think it calls for no quote unquote mulattoes, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, that comes from like a broader discussion about you know the the de-black like okay i'm making up a word here but the de-blackification of black people right Mm -hmm. and so like within media right so you see this heavy centering on lighter skinned and particularly mixed race um people you see this centering on interracial relationships within a prevalent amount of media, right? Um, Mm. 
and don't get me wrong, I am a hundred. Like I feel like I shouldn't even have to say this, um, but I am. I have nothing against. I am all for, you know, people being with who they want to be with, as long as uh, it's not harmful. Um, interracial relationships are a okay as long as it's, you know, as long as there is an understanding of experiences. Um, you know, mm-hmm. understanding is key to all relationships. That's 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 your moral for me from the day for the day. But um, you know. There's a centering, and I think it's because it makes blackness more palatable, right? Interracial relationships presented as like as the future, um, so to speak, and centering that kind of experience and centering mixed race people as like the protagonists, right? Um, because they're more palatable than uh, than non-mixed black people than non-mixed interracial couples right because Mm -hmm. it makes it easier to digest uh for people that may not be super comfortable and you know by super comfortable has internalized racism they need to deal with Mm -hmm. definitely well that that was that was an interesting analysis for certain. I do want to hop and skip since we we already mentioned it a little bit since you already covered it a little bit to black exploitation, which is not necessarily Afrofuturism. However, I do feel that it is a little bit of Afro concurrency. You know, early seventies, late seventies, eighties with like shaft dolomite um whatnot being there and being in a powerful position as a detective even though it is known that the police at this time were disproportionately and and today disproportionately arresting and and committing violent crimes against uh minorities that dolomite shaft what have you are here being you know undercover brother eddie griffin the remake you know um being detectives and working for the man while being black so seemingly middle management or having a position of power during a time of extreme oppression how do we feel about that so you mentioned you know the man and i think about the system, right? The system in general, the system that keeps black people oppressed, right? The system that uh, that keeps them down. And that's mm-hmm. that's the man, right? And so then I think back to Milestone um, and those superheroes, where, as I said, hardware was fighting against corporate evils. Um, Icon was Icon and Rocket. She can't be a rocket. She is. Uh, she is probably the most important character in the series. Um, mm. But you know, they're fighting to defend their. They're fighting to defend impoverished neighborhoods of black people that have basically been forgotten about or uh, abused. You know, within the first 
two issues of Icon, there is a very clear distrust of of police, right? And this is coming like two years after um, what happened with Rodney King. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's this fighting against the system as we are pushing ever forward to, you know, see ourselves within these grand, um, within, within these grand representations of blackness, right? Then these representations of blackness that embrace the fantastical, embrace sci-fi elements and, you know, mm -hmm. progressing towards a better future or fighting for a better future for black people, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so how do we feel about the adventures of Pluto Nash with Eddie Murphy? I am unfamiliar. Oh, you better be glad you are. So basically, <laughs> Eddie Murphy's an underground cop. And uh, he, he, he feels duty bound. Um, actually, what am I thinking about? Now I'm thinking about In Too Deep or, or what is it? What was the other film? Meteor Man. Oh, me did you watch Meteor Man? Oh, no? I'm unfamiliar with this as well. Hey, hey, that's another good one. So Meteor Man is a superhero. He's he's black, obviously. It's think of scary movie mixed with Marvel Cinematic Universe ten years earlier. Okay, think of that, and that's exactly what Meteor Man is. Think of a black Superman with scary movie vibes, like not, not actual horror films, but like the series scary movie with the Waynes. That is Meteor Man. Uh, so all the things Afrofuturism, uh, the, the mundane Afrofuturist manifesto looks to upend. He's a jive talking superhero who inherited his powers from an alien meteor. Uh, just let that sink in. And uh, I'm sorry I had to mention it. And then, okay, so so here here we can jump forward. We can jump forward a little bit. One of, I'm thinking of my good friend, uh, Sierra, who very much, they like the film, Fifth Element, right? So we got, we got rock in that film, right? Uh, we have a rock that's coming towards Earth, right? We have aliens, definitely coded as black people. And then who do we got to save the day? We have Bruce Willis. And who's Bruce Willis' side? Like beside him, the singer? We got a black guy. Perfect. Perfect. We have my man Tucker there. Um, what is he doing here? He screams, he does a lot. And what happens at the end of the day? At the end of the day, he basically saves the day. How do you feel about this? As like a sort of comic relief who comes through at the end to save the day. Um, but they happen to also be the token. I mean, that minimizes it, doesn't it? You know, that's clearly minimizing uh, the things surrounding it. Um, so I guess mine is the tokenism aspect. Uh, I think about 
get out right okay 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 yeah 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 and spoilers for anybody that has spoilers seen get out. some people haven't seen it out and it's really surprising that you know one of the masterpieces of our time has not been consumed by everybody but a lot of people have not seen get out so you know spoilers but um so at the end of the film after our main character chris has fought through a body snatching racists um and uh confronted with his dying uh white evil ex-girlfriend um you know, after killing everybody in the house, basically, mm-hmm. basically, um, he's outside of the house and you see police lights flash. Um, but it's not police. It's a TSA vehicle um, driven by his best friend, uh, his best friend, Rob. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think in certain cases um outside of the instance that you mentioned outside of tokenism right so okay so i think about why jordan peele made that decision oh yeah because there are two endings for the Mm -hmm, film mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the ending that we got which ends on this levity and prison and then prison where the blue lights are police lights and chris goes to prison Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so the argument as far as get out is concerned is fuck it, we have it hard enough. Yeah. It already sucks out here. And that just would make this film too bleak, you know, mm-hmm. too close to reality, unfortunately. And so realistic, you know, it would, yes, but it would I, make I it, agree with you. Make it far too realistic um, and a tougher watch, right? And so the choice to end it with this, uh, with this levity, um, letting Rod come to the rescue, it works there, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it would have been tough to it would have been tough to swallow seeing seeing Chris having gone through all that he has gone through, and then getting arrested, right? That that's that's a lot. Oh yeah. And so when get out, I think that works within a position where. You know, your black character is literally just a token, just there just to be like, yeah, look at the black friend. And they save the day, but it's comedic. It minimizes them. It Mm. minimizes their impact and their efforts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you're absolutely right. And get out when they when he arrived. He he was no longer comedic, right? He showed real concern. He's like, are you all right? Come on, let's get out of here. Then, you know, crack a joke, sure, because that's who he is. But that was a way to break the tension because you could tell, right, great acting, that he even felt uncomfortable at what he just witnessed. Chris, you know, he saying, oh, you know what those white people do to black people? They don't, they don't, they, they have an auction, you know, throughout the film. But it's like, that's how we talk. That's how black people talk about white people. There's nothing against, well, that's not true. But you know, that's, that's how we talk. We don't actually imagine something like this will happen. Right. Cause we think, oh, it's, it's 20, what was it? 2016. It's, um, it's like, we don't think this will actually happen, 
and come to find out it's real. And it's like, well, you know, I'd like to say I'm surprised, but it's, it's not surprising whatsoever. I mean, given America's history with black people, given the uh, experimentation that happened during slavery, uh, during civil rights era or reconstruction era going into civil rights era um you know it's not it's not that far-fetched i think the success you know is is kind of the heightened reality right you know mm. white people successfully implanting themselves within black people's bodies yeah no that's that's where we get into the unnatural uncanny but um mm-hmm. for the film mm-hmm. it works right oh yeah but it also really hits on this history of white people experimenting on black people because blacks are subhuman to them right because Mm -hmm. they just can and and to me it sounded realistic right as someone who does love him some anatomy and some neuroscience not forgetting the brutal history of i was talking to um, a friend of the podcast sam flag about this um, about um, multiple, uh, you know, in med school now, they're talking about multiple um, birth sexes. So, you know, you have, there used to be three classes of birth sex, male, female, and then intersex. But now they're thinking of actually labeling the condition at birth because that's how modern medicine sees sex. So whenever Ben Shapiro says, there are two sexes, fact, don't care about your feelings. And it's like, well, you know, their gender spectrum is enormous, right? And that's a good thing. But birth sex, for the most part, to a lot of people have been considered, well, you're male or female. There is no in-between. But it's like, we know that's not true. That hasn't been true for the entirety of our species existence or many other species. So now we're starting to look at that differently. That All that being said, so we're moving past with that. And with Get Out, I was like, oh, they're not just transferring a mind like Star Trek or whatnot, but they're actually talking about the science, like something that is not possible yet, but they're like, so you, you shove someone down into the deepest recesses of like their hippocampus or what have you, and you just transplant them into another person's brain. You can't push out someone from their brain. The brain was designed to be occupied by their consciousness, but you can in theory, subvert that consciousness through um, breaking the psyche, right? Breaking what it means to be I, the ego, right? And imposing another as a super ego. And that's, that's what made me most terrified. Not the fact that I could be tied up, not the fact that I could be lobotomized, but the, the realization that with, if they did this to enough people, this is completely achievable at some point and it doesn't require some futuristic technology some psychopath who knows jujitsu could help his father out in cutting me open and implanting an old white man in my head that's what worried me i mean i also don't think it helped uh considering the area we went to school you know going to school in north georgia which is racist you know can't even say uh yeah, yeah. I mean, There's nothing else to, to it. There's it's nothing. Uh, yeah. It's racist. Uh, so with that, yeah, obviously there's this very heightened 
fear Ooh. of abduction, of of experimentation, or of mm-hmm. being lynched, right? Being Ooh. being subjected to whatever kinds of torture that any racist white person may feel appropriate at the time. Um, you know, but I also think this is the this is this is the beauty of Afrofuturism, right? There's a there's an imagined experience and and, and a theorized or a hypothetical future beyond that, beyond this, where we are able to, you know, be beyond what we've suffered, you know. Um, we're able to control our own futures, our own destinies. And I think that is so important, so crucial, especially at times where we've seen, you know, America's more polite racism get a heck of a lot less polite, you know, where we've seen attacks on human rights, attacks on black people, where we've seen, you know, rampant uh, acts of police violence and police brutality Mm -hmm. against Mm -hmm. black people. Yep. It is so important and so crucial to be able to imagine a future for Black people where we are beyond that, where we are beyond that oppression, where we can be separate from that and, you know, thrive. Mm. Or, you know, I think I think that is that is important, right? Know your know your history, or you're doomed to repeat it. Absolutely. Um, also embracing what's going on in the present and confronting it and looking optimistically towards the future right Mm -hmm. that is incredibly important which is why we have to keep fighting and protesting and and you know voting doing everything that we can to ensure that we have a better future Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know we talked about pan-africanism and you know thinking about our the thing that connects us as black people and um you know looking optimistically at us as a culture of us as like a connected people and you know seeing that there's more that there is a future Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah most certainly and uh those sound like final thoughts i i'm gonna be concurrent this time i've said concurrent three times but People probably don't notice what I say until I uh, point out what I say. Do you think that, Khalid? I mean, probably, you know, you you just drew attention to it. Indeed. So now they're going to go back. That's fine. That's more plays. That's more sense in our pockets. Um, But yeah, yeah, this has been an interesting discussion. I know you just wrapped up. Uh, what we talked about there but do you have anything else you would like to say anything else you would like to discuss before this podcast is over um let's not forget to mention this is the final episode of season three we'll be going on a two-month hiatus and we'll be returning with an episode about multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes with cassidy evans on february the 8th Right, so that means this is the final episode for a little bit, and then we'll pick right back up where we left off on February eighth. Okay. Any thoughts, Khalid? 
uh, I know that you mentioned um, capitalists, you know, and, you know, being complicit within a capitalist system. This is not my final thought, but, you know, I think about a particular quote. Uh, the last capitalist that we shall hang shall be the one that sells us the rope. Ah. Uh, yeah, I thought about that when you made your comment about, you know, not being able to imagine oneself outside of capitalism or, you know, being grouped in with that, um, just being born within that, uh, that quote uh, definitely ran through my mind. Nevertheless, um, my closing thoughts. Uh, you don't owe your oppressor your trauma. You don't owe your, you don't owe your oppressor uh, any power over you or any space to continue to oppress you. You know, you are right to, your, your, your feelings are validated and nobody can take, nobody can take that from you. Your feelings are valid, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. you, you do not have to consider your oppressor when you are considering your happiness in mm -hmm. your future. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget, we're, we're here in defense of humanity. We have all done things that we could have done better, right? Whether we regret our actions or not, that does not make you inherently a bad person. You striving the pursuit for better makes us good people right the pursuit of better makes us good people i don't know why i repeated it like it was a quote from a will smith movie it was not it was just made up on the spot but i do truly believe that and i need everyone to take that into yourself you may have done bad things as i'm not talking about serial killers if you're listening to this i'm sorry please turn yourself in but you may have done bad things you may have hurt people that you regret it's it's never too late to reach out they may never forgive you but the the best thing you can do is you can reach out and you can try to forgive yourself if someone has hurt you you don't owe them forgiveness right as khalid said uh with the oppressor you no one deserves anything from you unless you are willing to give it to them that being said uh stay fresh stay open-minded stay critical um, we're always here to defend humanity. Thank you. Goodbye.